influence our leaders to have policies more favorable to China than the United States. Let's not forget their predatory lending go on. And let's not also forget their just brazen theft of our intellectual properties. Govin? So, you know, China has a closed capital market, meaning that uh, China doesn't allow foreign investors to come and invest in the majority of their real estate, their, uh, their stock markets, all that stuff. There's a very, very select few things that people can that are open to the rest of the world. Same as Japan. They both have a closed capital society. Where the United States, we have an open capital society. So that means China can come in, they can buy all the land they want to, they can buy all the stocks they want to, they can buy all the companies they want to, all the technology that they want to. And this is a big way that they do control. Obviously, we know by you know, how we see the influence on you know, these big technocrats or these big companies in Washington, where they're able to just come in and dictate policy and get it pushed through. But by China owning all of these resources, all of these uh, companies, they've infiltrated the United States and they've been able to create, you know, no pun intended, a Chinese wall of us being able to do the exact same thing. And so it's, it's definitely concerning that we're able to do it like that, but it's by design and they, they keep it that way so that, you know, we keep spending money on their goods. They use that money to bring it over here, invest in bonds, real estate, stock market, um, so that they can keep their money going and keep our economy almost inflated. But they're not interested in you know, taking our money that we pay them and cashing that out and spreading it to their people because if not, what ends up happening is they end up in the same predicament that we were in back in the 1950s when we used to be the world's workshop. Here we used to manufacture a lot of things, export a lot of things, but eventually like you were talking about earlier, Armstrong, with NAFTA, we shipped all those jobs away, and now it's going to be damn near impossible to bring those jobs back to the United States because we're all so used to paying, you know, $1,000 for an iPhone or $2,000 for an iPad. If we were to bring all that manufacturing back with where wages are at, we'd be paying three or four times, maybe even more, so I, I think that we've really got to get creative, and I think this is going to all change with AI because AI is going to be able to do all these jobs and more for way, way less. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens, in my opinion. You, you know, Sam, it is often said um, that the United States is the lone superpower, but every now and then, often you hear China discussed as being a superpower. What does it mean today to be a superpower, and do you qualify China as that? And if so, what makes her a superpower? Yeah, I don't qualify China as, as a superpower, and I do think we are the lone superpower. What qualifies it? Look, an exact definition I can't give you. It is a combination of political, economic, and military power, and we should not dismiss the fact that, that we sit in a position with vast alliances economic power, diplomatic power. I mean, if you were sitting up, you would not want to trade places and and play this game, not trying to be silly about it, from the standpoint of sitting in Beijing and looking at the breadth of what the 
the United States of America can do. I, I will add this to what your previous guest just said. In addition to the straight up economic impact of, of that we are feeling from the Chinese, we have to understand that they have an express government-wide program focused on elite capture, their term. That is the deliberate buying of the elite in target countries. We're obviously target number one. Whatever they define, whoever they believe constitutes somebody who has influence and power, they buy them straight up. CEFC China Energy that's been in bed with the Bidens for years. Huge company, lots of money. CEFC China Energy doesn't produce a product. There is no economic sense to what CEFC China Energy does. They're not out to make money. They bring money and they buy you one way or the other via a supposed economic relationship or a straight up bribe. And that is the model for the Chinese. It is enormously successful. And you're absolutely right that they have gained control over God knows how many thousands of, of Americans in this, in this model. Billy, what else is it about this elephant in the room that we don't discuss enough? Well, you know, what we don't discuss is the fact that uh, China has been going around lending other countries money mm -hmm. at a rate that the countries can never pay back. Mm -hmm. And so we're looking at a situation where they're kind of almost uh, geopolitically enslaving countries and then uh, uh, making those dictators and kind of puppets, so to speak, for them. And then, of course, installing, when they can't pay them back, they install a military base right there in that country. So they are gaining some military prowess around the world by being able to do that. And at some point, we need to really address that issue. You know, one of the things, even in all this, there is also a, a relationship between the two governments where they absolutely have to work together to go by. Obviously, the media doesn't want to show this. And, and it's obvious it's not in either's best interest to be in this kind of conflict, whether it's over Taiwan, whether it's over what's going on in Ukraine, because they really, in many ways, are interdependent on each other, Govan. Yeah, no, it, and you know, it's, I was, we were just talking about this on the break that I personally live in Panama City, Panama, and before that I lived in, uh, in the, the country of Costa Rica, and before that I lived in the country of Georgia. And here's the thing, China, don't rule China's influence out even outside of this. And in my opinion, it's actually beating the United States for the same reasons that Billy was just saying that they are going and they are investing in infrastructure throughout the entire world right now. It's wild. I mean, you should have seen the machines. You've never seen these sorts of machines in the United States that they were drilling through mountains to create these massive highways from one end of each of these countries to the other. And so, you know, right now, that's something that I'm really looking at seriously because even over here, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, the United States being so close to Russia. That's been, you know, their, their big thing that, you know, right on the other side of Ukraine, we were, you know, putting, lining up military and, and NATO and all this stuff. But China is also right in our backyard you know, building infrastructure and in, indebting all of these countries. And I, I've seen it firsthand and it's, it's wild. I mean, I, I'm sitting here kind of going like, where's the U.S. in all of this? Why isn't the U.S. the one that's bringing this, uh, you know, to, to our neighbors, to, to places where we can, you know, take advantage of, you know, cheaper labor uh, and not have to go so far away for that and, and a ton of resources. 
Why that's occurring is beyond me, but it is occurring. Rest assured that China is a major influence when it comes to that. You know, what's fascinating, Charles, is that oftentimes when I do lecture and I'm talking about China and I ask the audience the question, who are the biggest agriculture producers, the biggest cattle farms, chicken farms, swine farms, people have no idea what, how huge China is when it comes to agriculture. Yeah, well, I mean, it's true probably of every element of the Chinese economy, right? And and again, I'll throw this into the pot sort of, you know, let's be clear. We're not talking about the Chinese people here. Nobody, Nobody's afraid of, this is not an ethnic thing. Nobody thinks that 1.4 billion Chinese wake up every morning and say, we got to go attack the Americans. They're the ones that suffer under the Chinese communists more than anybody else. They're the ones who wake up in the world's biggest prison camp. We're talking about at the top of this, in control of all these resources, is the Chinese Communist Party, right? We're talking about a totalitarian, thuggish entity that will kill its own people by the millions to achieve political objectives. That's the harsh reality. That's what you're talking about. So we ought to be, we need to get really serious about this threat and understand what we're looking at. So Javid, how do you respond to his pushback on your concern? I mean, I think that's a great response. I, I will say this, and you know, I, I've been fascinated with the Chinese government, just like I have been even with the US government and digging deep into that. And I, I would not, uh, I would just say this, I'm not ruling them out, just like I'm not ruling out the United States. I mean, they're both massive superpowers, obviously ideolo ideologically very, very different. But when it comes to China, here's the one thing that I can say that they have. Good, bad, or indifferent about the Communist Party, they've banded together. And, and I think we see that in a lot of different Asian cultures. We see it in you know, Japan and certainly China, where these different countries, they have more of a kind of a hive mentality where like, we're going this way and it's for the good of the community, not for the good of the left or the right or the middle or the anybody. It's just for the good of the community. And so when I, I, I see that, we definitely have to look at that. I think that there's good things that China brings to the table that we could learn from. And I think that there's great things from the United States that they can learn from as well. How do we blend that? How do we start to get along? How do we say, hey, we're not your enemy. Let's make this world a better place. That's where I'm really, really looking forward in, in seeing how we can do that because they are our neighbors in the world, <laughs> in my opinion. You know, um, let, me, let me go to you, um, Billy. Um, in having a discussion about China, mm -hmm. when you think about uh, the Wuhan lab, mm -hmm. the COVID-19, the virus, and they are still suffering from COVID there, I think one of the most dangerous areas that we should could be concerned about the Chinese it's in the area of research, because they're reckless. They don't have the same standards yeah. that we, and listen, if one thing goes wrong, <laughs> the world can die. Many people can die as a result. Just look at what happened in the Wuhan lab. Yeah, the Wuhan lab was a, a real eye-opener. You're looking at a situation where we know now for a fact that that is where COVID originated. Uh, I remember uh, seeing uh, an FBI press release here in the United States where there was a professor at Harvard that was actually arrested uh, he had two Chinese espionage agents at posing as students there at Harvard. 
Uh, they ended up capturing them. Uh, they were doing experimentation on a nanoparticle uh, type of a virus, like a, a man-made virus that had nanoparticles in it. They were transferring that back to where? To Wuhan. Now, so we find out now that this is going back and forth. Now, all of a sudden in Wuhan, there's a release of this containment of this uh, deadly virus. Um, they tried to blame it on animals and everything else, but the fact is, it was released there. They have no oversight on a lot of their experiments. They have no oversight on their science. Uh, they just really are running like, like, like the wild, wild west out there. And because of that, it's a huge danger and a threat to the world, just basically because they are doing Frankenstein's type experiments every single day. You know, we already know they don't, you know, they don't look at any copyright laws or they just really don't care. So they're putting out a lot, a lot of things into the world with no oversight, and that is really dangerous. We need to find a way to come up with some type of a global law or rule of law that allows everyone to operate under specific guidelines and parameters so we can prevent things like this from happening again. Sam, you've got a minute and you've got the last word. Well, I think that's, if we're looking for dangers to end on for the program, I think this, is, this has got to be the point of the spear, man. My, my last job at CIA was running the Terrorist Weapons of Mass Destruction Unit. What happened at Wuhan, which in my opinion was a virus jump in the fence that had been genetically engineered, was relatively mild, right? COVID in the scheme of things kills relatively few people. Not, you could easily have the exact same event and it would kill with a virus that would kill one out of every three people it infected. Mm. Now you saw how fast that thing went worldwide wow. and then imagine one third of the world's population dead. That's not science fiction. That's not a bad movie. That's real. Could happen. And we need to rein them in and stop being afraid of them and tell the truth because you're right. It's one thing to kill a, kill a few, but one out of the three, that is massive. That is world genocide. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.